The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the World Junior Championships Preview. Today we have a thriller, uh, because we're going to speak about Sweden, Finland and Russia. And uh, with me today is Anton Rosgård, now back in Sweden. Thank you for joining us, Anton. I, w- I had to go back to Sweden now that we're going to talk about Sweden, obviously, because I have to relate to my uh, to my mother country. Yeah, and uh, we actually we, we called each other like 30 seconds ago and we just gotten off a, a very interesting start. And let's start with it because mm-hmm. it, it is a maybe one of the cornerstones for the Swedish team is going to be the goalkeeper. And we're a little bit unsure about who's going to be the number one goalie. Uh, because it stands between um, uh, Valstedt, who plays for Luleå, a very strong team uh, in, in SHL, and Alnefeld, who plays for Ovechutiep, that has been more or less based on the other end of the table uh, this season. And and what do you think, really, Anton? Uh well, I think that Jesper Valstedt is the bigger talent of the of the two. Uh, I think that he has the higher, both the higher floor and the higher ceiling. The question is just, I mean, Valstedt is uh, draft eligible for 2021, right? So he will follow in the footsteps of guys like Spencer Knight in 2019 and Yaroslav Askarov in 2020 by being the highest goaltender drafted and potentially and, and probably the only goaltender drafted in the first round. But on the other hand, you have someone like Hugo Aldenfeld, who is in his last year of eligibility for World Juniors. He played last year in the World Juniors. He played six games, had a 9-2-4 save percentage. He's the more experienced guy. He played SHL already last year, 18 games, uh, 9-0-5 save percentage, 11 games this year, 9-0-1. So it really depends on whether you want to go with it. It kind of reminds me of Russia last year where they obviously started Askarov at the start of the tournament because he's the bigger talent. But when he had kind of a fall a fallout in, in just, um, well, he, he didn't really perform up to up to what you expected. So they instead went with a hot hand and chose uh, Amir Miftakov instead. Yeah, but you you, you mentioned the, the hot hand, the, the theory about who's showing what. But on the other hand, when it comes to it, Valstead is a very secure goalkeeper. I, I think that he is super secure. He plays very good behind behind a very good defense. Uh, so he hasn't had to do those crazy saves. But Alnfeldt, he has really had to do those crazy saves to keep Hovichutiet in the team uh, in the game uh, mm. because his team hasn't been up to scratch. And and maybe that is what you're looking for in a World Junior Championship tournament where so much rides on one game you need the hot glove you need that hand that can just go in and and steal a game 
Yeah, and we really don't know what Valstead can do. Like, uh, we, we since uh, as as you say, Lulio is a strong team in the SHL. Uh, we don't know how he will perform if he doesn't have that perfect defense in front of him. Um, since he's been considered this, you know, generational goalie talent, you know, he's being compared to Askarov and everything. Um, you might expect that he would be able to put up good numbers also behind. I mean, it's kind of something you have to do, right? If you want to be that um, that clear number one um, kind of talent for NHL teams in the future. Uh, but we know that Alnefeld has already um, performed well in bad circumstances, and that could be a, a good sign for him coming into this tournament. How much will it influence the selection of the goalie and, and the team in general with Thomas Montaigne being based back home? Yeah, exactly. That that is something we are all wondering. Who's going to coach this team? And and you know, we were talking about that before we started recording as well. Like, um, coaches always have bias, right? Uh, I mean, they have their favorite guys on the team. Now all of a sudden, it's kind of a new coaching staff and just thrown into thrown into the wolves pit. <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, in the last minute. And and we don't really know uh, if Montaigne will be there and coaching on the phone. And, and in that case, like who, who will, you know, who will end up, um, you know, it's more difficult to project the Swedish team and the Lions and everything now, considering how depleted they have been both on coaching staff and player wise by COVID. Yeah. And taking a step up. Um, from the crease is is the defense. Obviously, we got some really exciting names here. We got Victor Söderström, we got Philip Broberg, we got Tobias Bjarnfoot, uh, Jesper Vals. Uh, Jesper Valsted is obviously a goalie, but but there, those three are really the guys that the coaches will have to lean on. Yeah. I'm guessing that uh, a guy like Emil Andrea, who uh, plays for uh, HV71 in, in Sweden, will have a kind of like um, vice, uh, like a vice Broberg role, like uh, being that kind of offensive, uh, fun, offensive guy further down the lineup. If um, yeah, uh, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's Söderström, Broberg, and Bjornfoot who will be the main guys, and they're all in their last year of eligibility, and they have been assigned. Uh, Broberg is the captain, Söderström and Björnfot are the assistant captains, so it really tells you something about what Sweden expects from them in this tournament. Yeah, and you have to remember that when we've spoken quite a few times with uh, Coach Olsen of Djurgården uh, over the last two, three seasons, and and he always says that Björnfot is a leader, so having <laughs> choosing someone else than Björnfot to be the leader, he must be an exceptional leader. And and it will be really interesting. Of course, Edmonton Oilers fans all over are super hyped that Broberg is uh, being chosen as a captain. Um, it will be interesting to hear um, how he performs and what the expectations are uh, on Broberg from from one of the other guys that we're going to talk about and talk talk with mm. in about an hour um, because we're going to record a preview of the Canadian uh, Canadian division and and we're starting with the. Uh, Edmonton Oilers guys uh, but yeah it is a, a defense that rests more or less last year we had seven uh, defenders that were amazing really and 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 Autumn Yinning yeah, yeah but uh, you, you could also say that you know Norlinder was the seventh defender yeah he and was. and and he stepped in and played very well defensively in order to let Sandin who was injured play a lot more in the offensive zone where, where his strength lies and um, something that really should have spoken to Montreal fans that were complaining about his role, but that is what we have seen now in Freland as well, where, where Norlinder maybe showcased his defense that was that 
we weren't really aware of uh, at that time. Uh, but it was a fantastic lineup of, of defenders last year. This year, not so much. I, I got to ask you, I mean, uh, since you're a Frölunda homer and you're from Gothenburg and all that, uh, were you a bit surprised that uh, 2021 top prospect Simon Edvinson wasn't chosen for this team? He hasn't played that much. And if I remember correctly, was he out yeah. a week with, with COVID as well? or? or... No, he was cu- he was cut uh, apparently. Like William Eklund, uh, who we'll get to when we get to forwards, yeah. he was he, he got cut due to COVID reasons, so he yeah. had to stay at home. But what what I've learned, um, they just chose to not go with Simon Edvinson, and yeah, it just seems weird. I mean, he's a consensus projected top ten pick, and and I expected him to go into you know kind of a weaker, as we say, a weaker defensive core, but, he, but apparently no. Yeah, I, I haven't heard a thing, and I haven't actually. Uh dug into it either no no um, sure. uh but looking at forwards uh, we gotta hurry up this because we have a guest in about 15 minutes <laughs> coming on here yeah. uh no surprises about who that might be when we speak yeah. about russia uh but uh looking in much the same um, and obviously carl henriksson is out due to covid reasons there are a few other forwards that are out with covid reasons but most importantly carl henriksson would have centered the dynamic dewey the terrible twins or whatever you're going to call them uh, Holtz yeah. and Raymond and and it would have been a perfect setup but he's out and I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like seriously who's gonna who's gonna center these guys yeah exactly who who, who will be the lead center I mean if we look at the possible centers we have uh, Theodor Niederbach who is a second round pick this year was it Detroit who selected him in the yeah. end I think so, yeah. Detroit selected all the Swedes, obviously. Um, and then we have guys like Arvid Kostmar, uh, Oscar Biaselius, and Alvin Sundsvig, who has gotten assistant assistant captain role as well. So uh, maybe Sundsvig will play a high, like higher up the lineup than than he would otherwise do with Henriksen there. But yeah, it's it's not. I mean, it's a winger skilled team, um, winger heavy team. But uh, center wise, it looks kind of dull. Yeah, there have also been. I've spoken to Roger Rönberg about this. I've spoken about, like, there were rumors about could Raymond play at center, and he can. Rönberg said if he had more time, he might have, you know, put him in that position to start and, and like, to learn on the job right now. But he hasn't, and that might be an option as well to, to actually move Raymond into center, uh, at least in one of the weaker games, to see how he performs at that level. But mm. th- that is an option that, that stands out. Uh, I think that, you know, with those two guys, it's a little bit like uh, like the Sedin twins. You, you can put anyone with them uh, as long as they're defensively responsible and, and uh, uh, it, it will even out. Yeah, exactly. We've seen what Holtz and Raymond have done this season in the SHL. They have lived up to their high expectations. I am kind of... <laughs> I'm kind of... Uh, um, uh, what you, could you say? I, I'm kind of excited to see what uh, a guy like another Freldunda guy, Elmer Söderblom, can do in this tournament. I mean, he's a behemoth of a man. I mean, he's 6'8", 240 pounds, uh, a winger. I mean, I, I'm just interesting to see, interested to see how the Swedish team will deploy him. <laughs> if he's going to be on the power play, if he's just going to move people around. It's going to be interesting. He's like a, a, an offensive lineman uh, up there. Uh, it's more or less like, you know, uh, there, there used to be that the Canadians took out the skilled Swedish players with someone like that. So maybe maybe we're doing it in return this year. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there, is, there, there is 
a forward set that is, as we spoke about the other teams that were reliant on maybe a, a top line to, to really get them through, Sweden is one of those teams as well. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, we, we don't really know what to expect from guys like Noel Gundler obviously fell out of the first round. He hasn't performed very well. He didn't perform at all in Luleå, so he got sent to Brynäs instead, uh, uh, like a, a worse team this year in, in the Swedish Hockey League. And uh, we have guys like Emil Heinemann uh, playing for Leksand. I mean, he, he hasn't really... He hasn't, he hasn't been, you know, in, in a prominent role yet. But, but uh, on Simon the other hand, Leksand has for, one of the first round top lines in Sweden. They're playing yeah. like 25 minutes a night as forwards. So so they're relying on that first line to, to get them through and to, to make sure they don't get into the relegation series. Yeah. So it's definitely. tough for a junior to come into that team. I think he's done well for, for being at that level. But but yeah, you, you have to consider yeah. that when you look at stats. You always have to... For me, it's a little bit of fascination that Simon Holmstrom is in there again. Yeah. And and I'm not sure why he is there, but but yeah, <laughs> we spoke about bias before we started yeah. the Swedish uh, talk through, and and now we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna finish with it as well because it was their bias bringing him in a little bit like um, Autumn Yinning maybe that that was captain last year as well, but but I'm unsure about his qualities when it comes to an NHL future. Yeah, it's fascinating just uh, like uh, a guy like Holmstrom because he was obviously, uh, people kind of said that he was overdrafted, kind of like uh, Philip Johansson was a Minnesota first round pick as well. I mean, both of those guys were kind of like expected to go into the second, third round and they were selected in the first round and Holmstrom really hasn't lived up to those kind of expectations. He has, so far he's played two games in the SHL and he was loaned out now to Vita Heston in in the second tier and uh, hasn't performed there either. So I don't know what he does on this team. I know that he has talent, but he hasn't shown it on a on a professional level yet well he, he also has the pedigree right yeah he does he does uh looking forward to our next door neighbors um the ones we love to hate and the ones we love to tell everyone that we hate so they shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at swami the the finnish team um that will also be relying on, on on one fantastic player let's be honest uh to say that um uh, it's all about the captain the captain uh, yeah. Anton Lundell, uh, Swedish name, you know, it hurts my feelings yeah. to see it a little bit, but but uh, he has had a fantastic season in Liga so far, and putting him uh, as a captain, leading the team, mm. this is his team, this is his time to shine, and he will be in the spotlight. Yeah, and he's a, he's a natural-born leader, to like, for real, and... Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I, I know that we talked a bit about him during uh, like pre-draft season and I was hoping for him to fall to 16 so Montreal could pick him up. Um, he has uh, performed even better after the draft and yeah, uh, as you say, this is his team and, and um, it will be interesting. I, I think that the, the reason he fell to 12 from the start was that people said that he had no standout skill. I think he has shown at the beginning of this season that if you do everything on a really high level, uh, you don't need that standout skill. You just like you're really good all around, and that is, you know, for someone. Uh, I, I think that I think that he's a guy who can go into an NHL lineup already last and uh, next year. Yeah, and let's be honest here. He he's not a jack of all trades. He's a four of a kind king, more or less. Yeah. And and that is the level that he has, and he's already wearing a letter for Hoyevko 
in in the Finnish league. So it's yeah, like at nineteen, at nineteen, yeah. and they know that he's gonna leave. But still, he's that kind of leader that demands to get that letter. Maybe not demanding that he gets a letter, but it's natural to give him that letter to to lead the team. And he was captain for one game at least when when the um, normal captain was out uh, due to an injury. Uh, this has been, you know, like looking all through the, the the lineup. Obviously, one name stands out, and it's Brad Lambert. <laughs> yeah, he has a Canadian name. So first, 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 we have that, and he has Canadian citizenship as well as Finnish. Um, but he's a 2022 draft eligible, and not only draft eligible, he will be selected if nothing. If nothing big happens, he will be selected in the top five, possibly top three. And he's a top-tier talent. He has already played. Um, he plays regularly in the league this season, and he turned 17 two days ago. So that is someone to look out for, number 33 on the finish lineup. Um, interesting to see, because a lot of people talk about uh, the three-headed monster of 2022. Shane Wright of Canada and um, playing for Kingston Frontenacs. I think in the OHL, and then we have uh, uh, WHL um, super talent Matthew Savoy or Savoy, and then we have Brad Lambert. So Brad Lambert will be the only one of those three uh, playing in this tournament. Um, so keep an extra eye on him for the draft in a year and a half. Well, let's be honest here. This might be Finland's chance to get a number one pick because everyone will think he's Canadian. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they won't they won't do their due diligence. Uh, they were just wondering why this Canadian guy is playing in the Finnish league. Indeed. Um, Finland is more of a team. Uh, if we compared Sweden to maybe Germany and, and Switzerland, if you listen to that pod, where there is a one line that, that uh, can carry the team, this is maybe more of a Czech team where the depth is there and, and it's strength in numbers. They will, of course, have a fantastic first line centered by, by Lundell, but it's more of a team rather than maybe, as you see with Sweden, with, with the terrible twos. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they don't have, as, as we said, like Anton Lundell and Brad Lambert are their top tier talents in their draft classes. But otherwise, there are a lot of like mid-round picks who have performed well. Uh, Roby Gerventieu was selected early in the second round by Ottawa. Uh, he has performed very well in Liga. There were a lot, was a lot of talk um, pre-draft that he had an outrageous shooting percentage in the Finnish second tier so that he wasn't going to be able to keep that up once he got to, I think he plays for Ilves in the Liga. Uh, but he has. He has played really well. Ronnie Hirvonen, who is an undersized center, has really grown into his role as um, as uh, you know, a, a Liga forward. Um, and I'm I'm really, like, the biggest thing is really who is not on this team. Because Aturetti uh, was, like, a year ago, he was the projected top, like, the top pick for 2021. He played in the 2020 World Junior Championships and performed well. But since then, his draft stock has just plummeted. And he hasn't taken a, a spot on his uh, Liga team. He has kind of been... Uh, been pushed back and forth between the uh, under-20s and Liga. And he was cut from, from this roster. But his older brother, who was born in 2001 and was drafted in the fifth round in 2019, he is on the team. So that must really be, you know, a bad thing. Like family dinners at the Ratty house. I don't want to be a part of that. Or, or maybe you want to be a part of it and just report it for eyes on the price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but it's it's an it's a team and most importantly if we mention the coaching 
in in the Swedish team, we have to mention the coaching for the Finnish team. I forgot his name right now, but uh, the coach Antti Pennanen, yeah, Antti Pennanen is one of the young Finnish coaches that is being fast tracked to become one of the best Finnish coaches in 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 the future. He has everything backing him. He has all the know how. He's curious. He looks for for inspiration abroad, and he he learns a lot from different coaches. I think this might be an ace in the pocket for 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 Finland. Yeah, uh, I didn't know who he was, but uh, apparently, like he has both won the SM Liga um, uh, and become the coach of the year in 2018-19, and he was also on the um, on the coaching staff that won the world world championships, um, like the the real world championships back in back in the same year as an assistant coach. So yeah, 41 years of age. It will be interesting to see if he can elevate this roster to to really compete for the medals. Yeah, and we've seen young coaches before. Um... Philip Pesan and uh, Christian Woolwind, uh, Roger Runberg, um, also Coach Olsen was part of Runberg's team. But we've seen these young coaches coming up here to then make a name for themselves and win uh, the World Juniors and perform after that to, to really make a name for themselves, either internationally or within the, the home league. And, and this one is an, another one to keep an eye up, eye open for. To, to see where he belongs further down the road. Um, is there any weakness in the Finnish team that you can point to? Not really. I mean, as you say, it's a, it's a sound team. It, it feels like a team. I, I would actually... I, I think that Finland will perform very well in this tournament. I think that they have uh, they have a good goaltender in Joel Blomqvist. Um, they have... Uh, quality talent on the back end with uh, with Ville Heinola, uh, Topiniemele, Emil Viro. Um, I like Kasper Putio, who was a fifth round pick this year. Um, so I, I think that there is something for for kind of everyone. I'm surprised that a guy like Patrick Puistola didn't make the team because he he um, he's a goal scorer. And I kind of think that is if there's something lacking. Um, it could be that quality, quality uh, goal score on the second power play because I think Robbie Arventier will take, um, will be able to you know uh, score a few goals, but but a second goal score would would be nice. But I think that Finland's biggest strength as well is which group the group that they ended up in in Group A with, uh, except for Canada, they will really have three um, exhibition games against Germany, Slovakia, and and Switzerland, which they should win, and then uh, it's all about the. Uh, the quarterfinals really yeah and and let's face it in in a quarterfinal they might play against a weak swedish team uh, yeah. and and that could benefit them as well uh, so you're already more or less into the semi-finals uh, and then you have everything to play for definitely definitely and i mean we, we know we remember last year a team like uh, canada started the tournament by just uh, being massacred by the russians and then they end up winning the whole tournament so as long as you have the right um, with the help of a tv camera of course of course but we don't want to say that to our canadian audience do we uh, no, but like in the end, it just comes down to who can perform the best on those three nights when it's really when it really comes down to it, the quarterfinals uh, to the finals. So, so I think that Finland is a dark horse, and uh, I'm excited to to watch them in this tournament. Yeah, and with that, we're gonna move over to the actually my favorite team of the, of the tournament. I think this team might go the whole way. 
I think Russia. Really? Yeah, I think Russia uh, will have learned from last year, and they are. You mean that Askarov will have learned from last year? Yeah, but I also think there is a sort of revenge going on, and and they want to win in Canada. Uh, to show them that this project that has been ongoing for a few years in Russia, the youth development program that has taken a different shift to what it used to be um, and, and build something stronger, I think that might actually work nowadays. And, and it wouldn't surprise me, even if Romanov isn't there to, to, to solidify the defense, uh, mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, Russia can, can definitely win this tournament. I respectfully disagree with that <laughs> i think that russia i think that this is one of the weaker russian sides we've seen in in, in a few years actually I, I think that they are lacking top end talent except for askarov and i think that askarov will need to play lights out to uh, to you know carry this russian team i feel like um there is talent absolutely because it's russia right i mean they have a lot of players to choose from but i'm lacking that real star power somewhere um just looking through the lineup i don't know who's going to carry the defense i don't know who's going to carry the offense like if you asked me one year ago i would have said that oh a guy like vasily podkolzin will of course be a star in 2020 but he's still not a star and he's the captain of the team if we compare him to a guy like anton lundell i would take lundell 10 times out of 10. um then we have yeah, we have guys like Amirov, the Toronto prospect. Uh, we have guys like uh, Yegor Afanasyev and the surprising first-round pick Yegor Shinnakov, who I'm uh, excited to talk uh, talk to Jillian about. But ah, you but, ruined it! <laughs> ruined it! Hey, everyone, oh you God. was going to talk to Jillian about this, but but yeah, of yeah. course. Uh, no, it's 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 just uh, it's an interesting roster, but I I think that Sweden could uh, could just uh, could challenge the Russians. Uh, I don't think they can can challenge uh, the Americans, but I think that Sweden and Russia are going to be in second place in this group. And we're back with none other than Jillian Kemmer, our favorite uh, guest, and uh, hopefully your favorite guest as well. We know from the uh, comments that we get after every pod that Jillian is on that you guys love her and we do too. Uh, Jillian, we're here to speak about Russia, naturally. But first, I have to mention, uh, if you don't subscribe to Jillian's letter and newsletter, um, The Caviar Diplomat, please do. Fantastic story that came out. Was it uh, on Saturday? Yeah. Yes, it was on either Friday or Saturday. Yeah, Saturday my time, Friday your time, uh, since, since there's a bit of time difference, uh, about the grandfather of all ho of, of Russian hockey, uh, Tarasov, and and... It's such an amazing story that Visavoild uh, Kukushin uh, was telling you. Yes, he's one of the most renowned Soviet hockey journalists of all time. He's covered basically every Olympics and World Championship and Canada Cup. Just the most enviable career in hockey, I think. He uh, even worked as a translator for a time for the Soviet and Russian national teams. So he was in that locker room for some really pivotal moments across a couple of generations. Yeah, and uh, I grew up obviously with the name uh, Tarasov, but but for me it was Tishonov that that was the the, the big name. He was maybe not as as appreciated uh, because obviously the TV uh, rights came out at that point, and, and we saw maybe more of, of his leadership than we saw of Tarasov's. But but what what I find really astonishing is this story about the the telephone call. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it as he was saying it. But um, for those who are unfamiliar, Anatoly Tarasov was 
one of the most charismatic and emotional coaches in history. He was just over the top. Everything was about psychology, connecting with players. He was very uh, beloved by guys like Tretiak and Fetisov, and, and he just had this kind of great way of incorporating a level of showmanship into his coaching style. And um, uh, Seva told me a great story about one day going to Red Army practice, and Tarasov was running one of his notorious practices, which were just absolutely, uh, of I think, colossal proportions, just superhuman I think on ice, off ice, no matter how you look at it, he was an unbelievable coach, but extremely exacting. And they were in the middle of one of their warlike practices. And he says to Seva, um, in a couple of minutes, I want you to come out to the boards and I want you to say to me, um, Mr. Tarasov, you have a phone call. You need to go to the dressing room. And Seva was confused by it because obviously the phone wasn't ringing, but he did what Tarasov asked. And Tarasov made this huge scene like, oh, good Lord, like who could be calling me? And he leaves and he goes to the dressing room. Um, and while he's gone, the players are just absolutely dead. They're basically keeled over on the ice, can barely breathe. And um, when he comes back and, and after practice, Seva sits down with him and he says, you know, when you left to go take the phone call, they didn't keep practicing like you commanded. And he said, of course I knew that. They were dead, but I'm the coach. I can't give them a break. So I had to make up a fake phone call so that way they could get some time to breathe without me giving them that liberty, which I just thought was the most unbelievable story. And just right in line with the style of Tadasov, like he had to show that he was, you know, the great commanding head coach, but he also had a soft spot for his players. And that is leadership as well. Um, Bragin, who's coaching this year's team, right? Uh, Larionov. Larionov is obviously it's Bragin yeah. last year. Uh, Detroit legend. Yeah, may maybe the green light <laughs> legend. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to ask you, like, uh, since we're talking about Larionov or brought up his name, uh, he's a very inexperienced coach, and I've heard rumors that he's uh, he's not very liked <laughs> already. Uh, so I'm just wondering if there is uh, potentially, uh, you know, some kind of disagreement among the players or the coach or anything about, like, even giving Larionov this opportunity. Is he deserving of, of that opportunity? Igor Larionov um, is broadly considered to be one of the greatest minds in hockey. And, and great hockey minds and great players don't always translate to being great coaches. But, of course, we don't have much of a sense either way of, of how Larionov is going to turn out to be. Um, in terms of my experience interviewing the players, and I've interviewed a number of the highest profile players on Russia's World Junior Squad, they spoke absolutely glowingly of Larionov mm. and their experience with him. Um, just that he's very much a player's coach, uh, that he, they like the style and they've bought into the resurrection of the Soviet style, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, um, that he's very kind and caring toward them. And when you look at the results that he had in Finland just a couple of weeks ago, I mean, Russia's under-20s vanquished the senior men's national teams of Finland, Sweden, and the Czech Republic. It was extremely unexpected. You know, perhaps they might have put up a good fight, and, and people can argue, well, it's a meaningless international tournament. But at the end of the day, if you're a team like Finland, where your head coach kind of vocally made it clear that you were not too enthused about playing Russia's under-20s, Ideally, you would teach them a lesson on the ice, not in the press conference. And that's the exact opposite of what happened. It's really Russia that schooled Finland in that opening match on home turf at, at uh, Hartwell Arena. So it was a very interesting lead-up tournament to the World Juniors. Now, I think Larionov is inexperienced in the sense that this is his first head coaching gig. Um, he did play assistant coach to Valerie Bragan last season at World Juniors. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it's perfect 
perfect experience, seamless experience. You have to make a lot of um, in the moment bench management decisions. You have to make calls that you're not used to making in the heat of the moment. Um, but I do think that in terms of the building blocks, I can't really imagine a better player to transition to coach than Larionov. Will uh, his lack of experience show through on the bench? There's possibilities for that. And I, I'm open to it. I'm open to the possibility. But in terms of his players um, and their perception of him thus far, all I've received are sort of glowing remarks about, you know, the way that he treats them and the style of hockey he's trying to coax out of them. It's a style different from what they play uh, in and out in the KHL. Looking at it back, uh, how much of, of these young guys have seen Larionov play? Um, in terms of in their contemporary existence, none. They were all born after the fall of the Soviet Union. However, um, if they and they, okay, maybe they caught some of the tail end of his his NHL career. Or maybe they've gone back and watched it. The Russian Five is just as popular of a book and documentary there as it is here. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that Larionov wants them to play the Soviet style of hockey, and, and we can talk about what the building blocks are. Of that style, but in terms of how he introduced it to them, he sat them down in Sochi um, when he first was named head coach of the under 20s at the Sochi Hockey Open. He put them in a room and he showed them a five-minute clip, a compilation of the Canada Cups of the 80s, his infamous green unit that dominated global hockey for a time, and he said to them, "How I want you to play." And when the players describe this moment, they almost describe it in surreal religious terms, like here they are watching this birthright of theirs, the Soviet heritage that made Russian hockey so important. And, and so, you know, it was just such an innovative style at the time. And one of the greatest players of that style, Igor Larionov, is standing beside, you know, that projector screen talking to them. And, you know, a couple of them, Daniel Chaika, for example, young defenseman um, who usually plays in the OHL right now on loan to Red Army, he said, I got goosebumps just imagining it. You know, we know that this is our heritage, but to have someone standing there who's a representative of it, who's going to coach us, that's a really big deal. Um, so I think that their understanding of Soviet hockey is now coming in a more fundamental level. They're learning how to play it. But it's so interesting that none of these kids would have been contemporaries of these Soviet hockey players. They're far too young. I mean, even I, being much older than them, who was not a contemporary of the players, I caught them just as they were coming over to North America for the first time. That's when I was a kid. So it's very interesting to see how that's translated. But in a lot of ways, um, I think that that's a very modern style of hockey that has influenced the way we play in North America, but is very different than how they play in the KHL, which is why it's such a marked departure for these guys that are playing in the K under some of these ironclad defensive systems, Larionov's offensive creativity and freedom, all of that is new to them, but it's also refreshing. And a lot of them have expressed um, a joy playing that style of hockey. Looking at the team, because I, I, you know, I can talk about Russian hockey forever, more or less, but, but looking at the team going forward, um, we, we just said that Anton, this is Anton Lundell's Finnish team. It's a terrible twosome of, of Holtz and Raymond for Sweden. But is this your, uh, Askarov's team? Um, are you saying, is it like Askarov's year or is it, is he the one who's going to carry? Yeah, a bit both, but, but more, <laughs> more or less, will he carry this team to the finals? Well, the big question mark for me ahead of world juniors is how will Russia's blue line fare? We are lacking a certain czar who might be familiar to your listeners. I believe his name is Alexander Romanov, if I'm not mistaken. And he was him. that. 
Yeah, I know. I, I feel like I talked to him to somebody. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that guy, he, you know, he was this immensely physical, gritty defender who had a nose for offensive production, who brought that kind of North American style of, of defense to that Russian blue line. And he led that team. I was talking to Vasily Podkolzin just last week or the week before. And I said, tell me about some of the leaders you've experienced in a locker room. And Romanov was one of the first people that he mentioned having played with Romanov at the World Juniors Tournament. Without that experience on the blue line, we really don't know what we're getting ourselves into in some ways. Now, we saw their performance in Finland, and of course, they were able to bolster that team. But with a scar of a net, how much does it matter? And that's going to be the big question I have to ask myself. Number one, what can he do? How can he save them? Daniel Chaika is the first person who said to me, this guy saves my ass every time I turn around. If I make a mistake, Askarov's got me backed up. But at the same time, that's not going to be enough, right? They have to be able to, to support him. The one important thing about Russia's blue line is they're going to be expected to contribute offensively. They're going to be expected to join the rush. That's a hallmark of the Soviet style. When we think of the great Fetisov and the points that he put up, for example. So you're going to see a lot of these guys being tested. A lot of them claim to be, you know, to claim to have a nose for offense, claim to want to contribute to the rush. They're going to have to demonstrate it. That's going to be part of Larionov's system. But at the same time, they have to be good in their own zone. And I think one pairing I would recommend keeping an eye on is Cheka or Cheka and Kuznetsov, who plays at UConn. They're right now practicing line of Russia's national team. And the reason that I'm interested in them is that they both have extensive North American experience. College can be a gritty game in North America. Chaika's played in the OHL. He's now back at Red Army. He said his experience in the KHL has made him better in his own zone, focusing on winning those battles in the corners, et cetera. But given their North American experience, they might bring that extra level of physicality or grit. A guy like Shakir Mohamedoulin, who was so controversial in the draft, He's a huge body, and he's going to be playing on that top line with his UFA teammate, Amirov, if they keep the lines as they practice them. Um, he's another kid that's really going to have to step up and show us what he's capable of because we haven't seen him tested against some of these grittier North American teams yet. Um, of course, there's going to be a lot of skill and a lot uh, of really amazing players on display out of Europe, too. But I like to look at the defensemen up against some of their North American counterparts because it gives us a good idea of what we're in for should they make the jump to the NHL. Yeah, that's such a, such a great take. I'm just sitting here and just, you know, it's just fascinating listening to your takes, Jillian. Um, I was thinking about what you said about uh, Podkolzin and what he said about Roman, Romanov and him being a leader. Because as we know, uh, Podkolzin has been named the captain of this team. Do you think that he, like he was a 10th overall pick by the Canucks a year and a half ago. Um, we know that before the draft, a few months before the draft, he was considered like a top three talent and he came, kind of came out of nowhere because he hasn't really put up the points or he hasn't, you know, performed for Ska the way that you expect that kind of, well, high draft pick to perform in, in the years, uh, like the years um, post-draft. Uh, do you think that uh, a guy like Podkolzin is ready to carry this offense and this team? If his experience in Finland is any indication just about a month ago of what he's going to do at World Juniors, then the answer is unequivocally yes. Pod Kulzin showed up to Helsinki as the captain of this under-20. He had to anchor them against senior men's national teams. And as much as these guys write it off to me, they're like, no, we weren't nervous. We were fine. We knew we'd be okay. I'm like, all right, fine. But you know, the whole world is watching you. You're the under-20s up against some of these heavy-hitting senior teams. You can't tell me. You didn't think twice about that. You had to have. 
And he led them with so much grace and composure. And not only did he lead them, let's say, qualitatively in the locker room, which they all talk about, but quantitatively. He led all scoring for the tournament, not just for the Russian national team. So Podkulzin put his money where his mouth is or his points where his mouth is when he was in Helsinki. If he does it again at the World Juniors, I think it's going to be a really nice testament to the leadership qualities that both Larry Onoff sees in him and that his teammates see in him. He is one of the few veterans of this tournament to appear on Russia's national team this season. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what that level of experience brings to his game. Askarov as well. Askarov didn't have a great World Juniors last year, we all know. Um, a lot of pressure was put on him afterward, but he is also starting to show a poise and a confidence that wasn't present in his game last year. So I'm very excited to see what the two of them do with that experience behind them and, and how they can translate that to a locker room that, of course, is going to be a little bit nervy going into the highest profile junior tournament that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, but also, let's face it, these two guys carry the under-18 team to a um, overtime loss to Sweden at home in Sweden in the under-18 two years ago. So they've That's already right. proven... Scarf to, to, to be able to lead, to be able to carry teams that they need to carry. Well, so that particular overtime loss, um, as Skarov mentioned to me in an interview that we did just before, I was bugging him to tell me about some of his least favorite goals. It's my favorite question to ask um, goaltenders, which they all hate me for, and it's understandable. But uh, he definitely pointed um, to the the kind of rise and fall that he's experienced on the Russian national team. They've had some really dramatic losses and some really dramatic wins. And he chalks it all up to experience, to being able to become more resilient as he pushes forward. And I hope that that's how he'll treat his last World Juniors experience going into this one. Uh, I, was, I was talking to... Yeah, I was, I'm just going to ask. Uh, I was talking to Patrick be, be, before we started recording with you here, Jillian, um, about a guy like Yegor Shinakov, um, mm. who was... Uh, to say the least, he was a surprising first-round pick by uh, by the Columbus Blue Jackets in this draft. He plays for Avangard Omsk, and he has played well, what I can see from the KHL. And I'm just wondering about what you think that he can add to this Russian team. Well, it's interesting. Um, Yegor Chinakov was a revelation at the draft, but not necessarily for KHL watchers because he was putting up points before the draft. And I was excited about him watching him under Bob Hartley's watch. Avangard Omsk um, is often not talked about among the great feeders of talent to the KHL and, and or excuse me, to the Russian national team from the KHL. Um, but Avangard has a really strong development system. And Bob Hartley is the head coach of Avangard Omsk KHL squad. So Chinakov is playing a style that is maybe a little faster, up tempo, um, a bit more uh, offensively creative than what some of the other, let's say, more Russian traditional style teams are playing in the K which gives him a little bit of a leg up or a little bit of a, a smaller adjustment when it comes to playing Larionov's brand of hockey, which whenever we talk about Soviet hockey and that kind of up-tempo puck possession-based game, it is closer to what's played in North America, I believe, than what's played in the current KHL. So Chinakov has you know, a little bit of, a, of a, an advantage, you could say, being with Larionov now. He's right now practicing on, I believe, the bottom line, if I saw correctly. I'd have to go back and double check, but I'm pretty confident. And I was surprised to see that um, because I thought that he played pretty well in Finland. However, he came home from Finland. There was a lot of buzz about that team, a lot of buzz about him, naturally. His mother gave an interview. He gave an in-depth interview. And his uh, production dropped off a little bit. And all of a sudden, the KHL kind of 
put a wall around him to try and insulate him and try to get his head back in the game. I don't necessarily know that he lost focus, but he did have a little bit of a slump going into that World Juniors Novogorsk uh, camp that they hosted. They basically put the guys in a bubble before the Edmonton bubble. I said to Podkulzina, I was like, by the end of this, you'll have been in a bubble for two months. But uh, basically, you know, Chinakov has something to prove. And I think he has something to prove to a global audience that said, who the hell are you when he got drafted? But I could see him doing really well. And, and he put up some really beautiful points in, in Finland. So I'm excited to see what he brings to this team. If he stays on that fourth line, it, you know, it'll be kind of interesting, but I suspect we may see a little bit of movement with him depending on how he does in let's say, the first game of the tournament. It also tells you a little something about what Larionov sees in him. If you kind of, I mean, if he's someone who can play both up in the lineup and down in the lineup, I mean, it also tells you something about what Columbus saw in him. He's basically someone who you can rely on in different situations. If he plays that fast-paced game, um, that's a positive, obviously. Yeah, it's a great point. Absolutely great point. And I think um, playing at Avangard Omsk, will have encouraged that in him too, because Avangard has a lot of really heavy hitting import players in addition to strong Russians. So he will have had to have moved around and Hartley will have had to have found a place for him. He's very young and it's, you know, the KHL in general doesn't just reward points to youngsters, but that team is stacked with talent. So the fact that he's gotten so many opportunities, he's seen diverse competitive situations in the K that's one of the big benefits of this world juniors team. A lot of them are playing big minutes in the KHL, either by virtue of the fact that they earned them or maybe COVID-19, unfortunately taking players out of lineups gave youngsters a bit more of an opportunity. So they have a lot of experience in like the immediate lead up to the actual tournament, which I think is going to serve them well. And I know that physicality and conditioning was a big focus during their bubble in Novogorsk. Looking at, and as you mentioned, like these guys have played hockey in the last three months, like proper hockey yes. on, on arguably second best league in the world some of the other team's players hasn't. And and this is why I have Russia as one of my favorites to win the tournament. Uh, but how much will it affect these guys that has not played compared to Russia that has played? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'm, I'm going to be quite curious to see it too. I think another thing that goes underestimated about this team is that they've played together a fair amount and they're coming off of that big win in Helsinki. I mean, Yes, of course, um, it was a quote-unquote meaningless or friendly international tournament. I hate to say meaningless, but that's not fair. But friendly as opposed to like a world championships or an Olympics. I think you know what I mean. But it was a you know this tournament that was medium profile in Europe. But that tailwind from winning against senior men's national teams. I mean, they shut out the undefeated Czech Republic, undefeated up until that point at the tournament. Um, Skarov pulls out this insane shootout win versus Sweden. I mean, that is really going to bolster them in addition to the fact that they've played together a fair bit. Some of them are playing together at their KHL clubs. And we've had a season unlike any other where youngsters really had to get the nod because a lot of the older players in the KHL came down with COVID-19 for weeks on end. So they're not just coming off of having played. They're coming off of having played more minutes than they would have during any other circumstance. On top of that, we have the fact that KHL tries to phase out the the uh, Olympic-sized rinks. They're not going to be a problem going to a North American rink. Yeah, for me, this is this is really really interesting. This is the team to look yeah. out for this tournament. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. If they can put together what they put together in Helsinki, they're going to put up a great fight. Um, you can never predict with World Juniors because of how nervy and high, high profile and unrelenting the spotlight is. Um, plus, the teams that, that come in are so immensely talented. But this is a team that if they stick to that Soviet style, I would recommend actually to all of your listeners having a quick look at some of the highlight clips of the green unit of the 80s. Look at some of those Canada Cup highlight reels of Larry Onoff's you know, infamous KLM line. If they play the style that Larianov wants them to play, you're going to see a lot of similarities between those historic Soviet teams and this team. And that, to me, is going to be the most interesting thing to watch. And also, let's remember, Larionov was a, a physical specimen out of this world in some ways. He played hockey until he was NHL hockey until he was 42, I think. And yeah, and there's that old wives tale. He drank wine before every game. I really hope that's true because that's my strategy for getting through this year. Let me tell you. I've heard. I've also heard that he went to a hot dog stand in, uh, on his way to the uh, to the practices in Detroit, and then he had to work the hot dogs <laughs> off. <laughs> well, he's only five nine when you think about it, so he couldn't really carry it the way some of these other big guys did. That's even more impressive. But yeah, uh, as always, Julian, it's amazing to have you. I think I have to go back and listen to this podcast at least twice at least from the russian end of it uh, me too because there is so <laughs> much information that you provide us with and we're we so provide happy. we provide canada and montreal with hockey history it's not only about world juniors of 2021 this is a you know it's a it's a great way to just teach the uh, history of hockey well it's a pleasure and i know that montreal fans beyond any others appreciate hockey history and that's what i love so much about them so it's always a pleasure to talk to you thanks so much Yeah, and that that Romanov guy, I just saw a picture of him, you know, from from practice with the Montreal Canadiens jersey. He doesn't look that good, so you know. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll see. I'll smoke him. Thank you again, Julian. Uh, we might hook up with you after the World Juniors to have a celebrationatory um, podcast as well. We'll see what we can can come up with. Uh, but I also have to say thank you to Soya, uh, my cat, who has been alive really because that's her, what her name means, uh, all through the podcast. And when you hear something scratching in the background, that's her. <laughs> I didn't know that your cat was there, but hello, Sonia. It's, I'm so glad you were with us. I thought it was you, Patrick. Yeah, I don't have that <laughs> in all nails. <laughs> scratching the wall. Yeah. Anyways, thank you. Uh, we all look forward to a great uh, tournament. Uh, this is the last one of the European pods. Uh, you will have to look for the North American pod that will be hosted by Jared Book later on, uh, probably coming out today after tomorrow. This is Monday and it's going out more or less directly. I have to edit a little bit out. Uh, thank you, Gillian. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Anton. I'll speak with you in a couple of minutes again.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.